This is Southern Fried Soccer, and I'm your host, Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Last night, Atlanta United stayed alive with a 4-2 win over Columbus in Game 2 of its best-of-three MLS playoff series at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now the series will shift to a decisive Game 3 in Ohio on Sunday. Kickoff is scheduled for 7 p.m. I don't yet know if it's going to be on network TV or just Apple. If it's just on Apple, kickoff will be 7.09, so you don't have to ask me that question a few hundred times on Twitter come Sunday. Usually, if it's just on Apple, it's always nine minutes after the whatever the announced kickoff time is. So, but you don't want to hear about that. You want to hear about the game because it was a fantastic performance by Atlanta United. In this podcast, you're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda, Jay Fortune, Jean De Silva, Brad Guzan, Tristan Miyamba and Yorgo Shakamakis. We got a little bit of everything from from Devin, who's on the board for us today. I'm going to answer a few voicemails that came in. Thank you for sending those to our number 404-526-2527. And we got quite a few questions from my email at droberson at ajc.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. I should probably make those similar, a little more similar, so it's easier for you. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, before we get into some of the audio clips from the from Pineda and the players, let's go through the goals, please. So Atlanta started with a scoring from Yakamakis in the 38th minute, a header off a cross from Lennon. It was a really well-worked play by Atlanta United. It was a kind of a triangle in the right corner. They moved the ball quickly. Huzeto eventually found Lennon near the touchline. He put in a, a pinpoint cross. Yakamakis cut in front of two Columbus center backs with a back post run, headed it off the right post and in to give Atlanta a one to nothing lead. You know, for a couple of years, everybody was banging on Lennon. He's not a good crosser, not a good crosser. And I kept trying to tell y'all he is a good crosser. He just needs a good striker. And Atlanta did not have a good striker. Joseph was was injured and, and really couldn't jump like he used to. The guys who were trying to fill in just weren't very good. And now you're seeing what can happen when Lennon actually has a target striker. He's had a fantastic season. He's been the most productive American player in Major League Soccer, uh, fullback, American fullback in Major League Soccer this season. Of course, Atlanta United being Atlanta United, it couldn't just be happy. Cucho Hernandez scored in the 45th minute to tie the game at one. But then John De Silva, in four minutes of stoppage time, roofed one left-footed, another assist from Yakimaki. So he has now two goal contributions at that point. And then Mosquera came in as a sub, 83rd minute. 
Another assist from Yakamakis. He became the first player in Atlanta United franchise history to have three goal contributions in a playoff game. Tiago Almada in the 88th minute with a, a little chip. And then somebody named Arfston for Columbus, who I've never heard of before. No offense to you, Arfston. Scored in the 95th minute to make it 4-2. Again, game three, Sunday in Ohio at Lower.com Field, where Atlanta United has not had really any success at all to advance to the semifinals. All right, let's get into the audio here. There's a packed room last night. It's always interesting when there's a game of importance, how many people show up compared to the usual amount of people who are there. First question, I got the uh, I get to ask the first question typically. Thank you to Atlanta United for that. I wanted to know what was the difference between game one when Atlanta United was shut out and only had one shot in the game, not on target, and Game two's electric performance. That helps. So I hope you tweet about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, many things. What can I say? Uh, I think it was a very complete uh, game. If something, the first goal was, you know, uh, um, you know, a soft one to me. I yeah. think we, we shouldn't consider that one. And that jeopardized a little bit the momentum we're getting in the first half. Credit to the team. We came back right away, which is another signature of a good mentality. Uh, but then the last ball, right? Set pieces, his little details, his uh, being in charge of that area. So we need to control better that. But other than that, I would say that uh, we were aggressive. We were very disciplined tactically. These type of games against Columbus, um, we need to be tactically disciplined, and we were. We were aggressive. When we were pressing, we were pressing together, which is great against a team that plays very well from the back. Um, and then the the play, uh, how we played up from the back, I think was pretty good. It was impressive how we disrupt many times the, the opponent. Um, and then the aggression in the final third, I think today we had not just the shots on goal, but the presence, the crosses, the, the numbers inside the box to make it happen. And I think this is uh, an ideal scenario uh, right before the end. When we spoke with Pineda on Monday, he was I don't want to use the word eerily or phrase eerily confident because it's kind of a cliche, but maybe shockingly confident about what he was going to see on Tuesday. Now, coaches have to be confident. They have to express confidence. But this, to me, it was a little, I don't know, not disarming is not the right word. It was it was curious. It was interesting. He talked about how the players were going to give the energy to the fans instead of the, the players needing to get the energy from the fans. It was a decisive game. But he he just really appeared coolly confident. So I wanted to know why, after the four two win, he had that feeling. It's the process. We we trust the process. We think as a staff, as a club, that we are doing the right things. Uh, we think we have the right players at the moment. That we have uh, players that care. And uh, you know, missing Thiago in the first leg. I mean, that was. Um, that made us change a little bit, and you know, um, I, I trust the process that we have here, and I knew the process was good. I knew the players were coming strong mentally, and I saw that in their eyes. I saw that in the reactions. I saw that in, in the training session. So uh, I was confident yesterday. Yes. Jay Fortune was pressed into action in the second half when Mateus Uzetu uh, experienced a calf issue. I spoke with him in the locker room after. He said he thinks he's going to be fine. It was just a little tightness, and he didn't want to risk it, which. I can understand. Uh, he wants to keep playing. He wants to play in game three. But I did ask Jay, what did he learn from the game one start that should he 
start for Hosetu in game three that he can apply? One of the biggest things, like we saw tonight, was energy was, was key from start to finish and just trying to provide that energy. And um, when, when we're good on the ball, then we're able to create chances and, and do what we do best. So just trying to be clean on the ball, bring energy to the game and keep the game flowing at our pace. The two previous times this season y'all have played at, at Lower.com, it, it hasn't, the results haven't been good, the performances haven't been great. What was going on then that you don't think is going to happen in Game 3? Um, I think the biggest thing going into it is uh, the momentum that we, we have going to the game is key. Okay. Um, we, we pick up three points or we pick up a win tonight at home, which is big. And, you know, the, the turnaround is in a week. It's it's a few days now. So I think going over there and we have the momentum on their side, they, they have to then, you know, think about what, what they have to change and we have to try and do what we did again. And I think that would be key going into that game. Do you feel pressure? Do you, all, do you think you're going to feel pressure? No, I think, you know, as as players, you, you know it's a win-or-go-home situation, so there's always a little bit to it, but it's up to us to try and to use it as uh, as motivation for ourselves. Um, I think there's always a little bit, but at the end of the day, we, we know that comes with the job, and, you know, we're prepared for it, and we're ready to, to use that to, as fuel to motivate us to go in and get a win. Now, Jean De Silva, we have to bring up. After he scored his first goal at the end of the first half, he ran over to the uh, sidelines where a uh, staffer for Atlanta United handed him a Spider-Man mask. He put on the Spider-Man mask. It was a tribute to his two-year-old son, who's also named John D, in which I learned John Day is short for Alexander, which never occurred to me because I can be kind of a dumb guy. But here's Silva talking about the goal, Spider-Man, his miss. Uh, it was an awful miss, frankly, uh, in the second half, wide open goal, and just kind of what it all means. Ah, it's called my son. My son loves Spider-Man, so it was for him, you know. He was watching the, the game at home, and that's it for him. And we have to ask about the miss. Uh, when the miss happened, yeah. did the ball take an unusual bounce, and were you worried at all that it could be an impactful play for the rest of the I game? I don't mind. Like, it's part of, of the game, you know. You score, you miss, and just forget about it, and we go to the next game. How long have you been carrying that? Sorry? How, long have, how many games have you been carrying that? No, it was like... A, Few days ago, oh, okay. I bought the mask. <laughs> yeah. What was working so well for y'all tonight into Game Three at a place where the team hasn't had a lot of success this season? Oh, we were playing the way we play every, always, you know, like uh, the, our formation, you know, like we play out the coach told us to play, and uh, yeah, we were together, like um, working for each other, and I think this is the most important. Are you hoping your loan gets turned into a purchase for next season? Do you like it here? Are you happy here? Yeah, I love it. I said like it feels like home. But from now, I just want to enjoy and like we see another season. Braguzan usually answers the bell for us after tough losses. He did after game one. He comes out and, and does the interviews. He's always very professional about it. And so when there's a big win, I always try to go to him, give him a chance to, you know, talk about the positive things, the, the fun things, the thrill of victory, to use another jargon piece of crappy cliche. But here's Brad talking about what needs to carry over from game two to game three for Atlanta United to advance to face Orlando in the next round. Listen, it is mentality. These types of games, um, these types of games, listen, obviously we change systems, um, but it's not a mentality. You know, when, when you're at home, you obviously have to be on the front foot. Um, you know, looking back at the Columbus game away, the first one, we were okay until obviously we concede in one transitional play and and you give someone like Cucho two yards in a box. He's a, he's a good, he's a good striker, right? Like so, um, you know, tonight. Listen, the, the mentality, the 
relentlessness, the, the desire, chase balls down, win the ball higher up the field. Um, you know, I was joking with Gigi, like, should add more tonight, you know, like, but, you know, this is what it is. Hopefully he saves some for Sunday and, you know, we'll go again. Tristan Biamba had, I thought, a fantastic game in central midfield for Atlanta United. He was all over the place. He and Husetu and Almada were going against two of probably, Panetti even said this, two of the best central midfielders in in MLS, in, in Nagby and Morris. And Miyamba, I don't want to say bossed the midfield, but he more than held his own. He really controlled the pace, broke up a lot of counterattacks, didn't do anything silly like he did in game one when he got that early yellow card. But here's Miyamba talking about game one and then game two. We train and we we talk a lot because uh, uh, the first game at Columbus is uh, we don't show uh, our our quality. We don't show the the face uh, of uh, this team. So now today we play well and we we show the the real face of, of this team. So we just uh, have to play uh, our football and with confidence. Because I think uh, we we play uh, the the first game a uh, little bit shine. Yurgo Shakamakis, one goal, two assists. Yurgo says always a good quote. You usually have to wait a while to get it. He's he's very deliberate in his post game. He does his treatments and everything so he can stay healthy. So a few of us hung around the locker room last night hoping to get Yurgo's. Most everyone had left, and he did agree to talk. Uh, so thanks to Atlanta United comms and, and your goes for that. And during the interview, uh, he was being asked some questions by some TV people. He had mentioned a, a kind of a meeting that had happened. And I asked him to expand on that. And here's what he said. Just the players. Just the players. Who called that meeting? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone had to. I had the chat with uh, Guzan and uh, with Brad and. I felt that it's different when you talk to the manager, right? And different when you you when you don't have to think what you say, right? In front of the manager, and it's normal. So that's why I try to to tell to tell Tuzan that I feel that guys are afraid to tell the truth of what they feel, mm-hmm. uh, and it's normal. So that's why you had the, a different meeting the next day. It was a different outcome. And so then I wrote about that today, which you can find. You can look for the link on my Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, or you can subscribe to the AJC and find the story on our Atlanta United channel. It's on top of the sports page right now. It was, it reminded me a little bit. I think this was um, 2019. Yes, it definitely was 2019. Uh, the team was struggling uh, under Frank DeBoer at the time. There were some injuries that were affecting lineup choices and everything. But they had a team meeting. I think it was, again, after a loss to Columbus, if memory serves. They had a team meeting. DeBoer changed the formation. DeBoer listened to the players, kind of changed the formation. I think they went from a 3-4-3 to a 4-3-3, which was a, a formation that they kind of liked. Or, or I might have they, I might have flipped it back around. I, I, it's been a while. I have to go back and remember. But the point was, there was a players meeting. Things got turned around, and the season became successful. They went on, won the U.S. Open Cup won the Campionas Cup, advanced to the Eastern Conference semifinals. So perhaps this players' meeting that happened after that game one loss that Yakamakis and Guzan called might be a catalyst for the rest of the season. But it won't matter, obviously, if they don't win game three 
at lower.com field where they have been beaten twice this season, where they've been outscored eight to one, where they have only taken three shots and only put one of those three shots on goal. Now, in those two games, they did not have Tiago Almada, which obviously is a huge factor because he's a finalist for MLS MVP. We're going to get into how he played last night in the mailbag, um, but they will have Almada for Sunday, so we'll see what happens. When we come back, we're going to get into the voicemails, into your emails. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. And we're back. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. You can get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters, of which we have a lot. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And I want to point out, the paper is investing a lot in itself right now. We are, are hiring bureau chiefs. We're hiring reporters to cover the state and the South, we are really investing in you, trying to give you knowledge, trying to give you information, trying to make you as informed as you could possibly be about whatever is going on in your life. That's a pretty good deal. 99 cents. AJC.com, subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. I hope you'll take advantage. I want to also point out that Ken Segura, our fine AJC columnist, was at the game last night and wrote what I thought was a really, really good encapsulation of everything that happened last night and what it may mean going forward. I hope you'll look for that on AJC.com. Again, good work by Ken. You should follow him on Twitter, too. All right, on to the mailbag. 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Stop what you're doing, and you're about to ruin all the contacts in your phone that you're used to because you're going to put that in art from Morningside. A uh, question for you regarding Gonzalo Pineda going to game three at Columbus. If they lose that match, do you think that Pineda will be brought back as a manager for next season? Or do you think that they're going to make a change? Thanks Doug. Thank you, Art. Uh, regardless of what happens on Sunday, I am 99% certain that they will bring Pineda back. He is under contract through 2024. There are options for, I think, 25 and 26. Um, his first half season got the team turned around, led them to the playoffs. Last season, again, was a total aberration because of all the injuries. No coach could succeed with all the injuries, and he still almost got them in the playoffs. They got to the second-to-last game. This year, you know, as Garth Lagerway said in a Q&A I posted two weeks ago, 
the roster at the beginning of the season was suboptimally constructed. They went into the summer window, made some positive additions with Lopchenitze, Mayamba, Silva, who's on loan, Thierry. They got three starters. They would argue they got five starters because they moved Lennon and Wiley back to fullback. They're better positions, and, and they've played really well back there. And so now comes the winter window, a hugely, hugely important window for Atlanta United, which is likely going to be without Miles Robinson, who has no seemingly has no intent to sign the contract extension that's been on the table for not 18 months, but probably 16 months now. They're going to lose Zetu more than likely. It would be tough for – I don't know within MLS rules if he could sign, re-sign a contract at a much lower salary over maybe longer years. He and Miyamba have formed a really good partnership, but Huzetu just makes too much money. Um, and that's, you know, I don't know whose fault that is, but it's just a fact. And there's the whole Almada thing, which, you know, we've talked about ad nauseum. No one knows what's going to happen yet. He wants to go to Europe. Who can blame him? But Atlanta has to get an offer that is a reasonable offer and a place that Almada wants to go. They're not going to sell him to a team that he doesn't want to go to. So anyway, all those factors are why I think they will keep Pineda. I think the second half of the season, the team got turned around. They finally won a game of importance, something that I was having a conversation with uh, Mike Conti about this last night. We uh, we have different interpretations of an important game. He brought up another one against Orlando last year that he thought was important that Atlanta United won. So you could argue two games of importance since 2019, but they won one last night, played very, very well. So regardless of what happens on Sunday, I think Pineda is back. On to Chance in Lawrenceville. Man, it's good to see that win. It's a little rough there at the beginning, but they were able to pull it together for a good ending tonight. My question is, can we use this momentum – give it a good 50-50% possibility of us winning this next game or is home field advantage at Columbus just putting Columbus way too high over? Um, curious what your thoughts were that. Um, appreciate your time. Have a good one. Thanks, Chance. It's uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, you could argue all the pressure is on Columbus now on Sunday. They're the higher seed. They're at home. They're the ones who just lost 4-2. to two. Um they're the ones with, with frankly, higher expectations than Atlanta United. If you read what national people think, and even why I, th- I thought Columbus would probably be an MLS Cup contender uh, after their summer window, they made some fantastic signings. So Atlanta can go up there and play loose. It has really not a lot to lose. If it wins, it's on. It gets Orlando and, and you know, what could be considered another ingredient and in what could become a rivalry. I'm still not going to say it's a rivalry. They've got Almada. They got a healthy Yurgos. They've got Saba. They'll likely play their preferred formation. They didn't do that in game one because they didn't have Almada. And I think that affected the rhythm of the offense, the confidence in the offense, the how they tried to attack. But they'll be able to play loose. They'll be able to push forward. It's going to be a fun match. I'm looking for I'll be there. Uh as I, you know, I think I've covered more than 95% of the team's road games since the season started in 2017. I will be in Ohio. I hope you'll follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson, AJC. I hope you'll read the copy in the paper at, you know, subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. On to Grant and Marietta. Mr. Doug. Uh, oh, gosh. They limit me to 30 seconds. I got to go. <laughs> okay. So uh, 
I was interested. The the pundit on the Apple TV, Shep, I guess is his name, is former goalkeeper, really cool guy. He just sang the praises of Brad Guzan uh, before the match started in the pre-match lead-up. Um, I've heard a lot of criticism from other pundits about Brad, and Brad has such respect from the player association leadership, I believe, around the league. A lot of people really respect the guy. Anyway, my question is um, there seems to be some question about if if Brad would be the starter next year. And then the other question is, i got to hurry up. Pineda moved over to be assistant coach in Seattle. Would Brad move over to be an assistant in Atlanta? I think my 30 seconds are up. Thank you, Doug. Take care. Hey, Grant. I hope you're doing well. I hope your band's doing well. Again, it was fun listening to you all a few weeks ago here in Midtown. Um, so, you know, I've, I've addressed this a few times, but I understand that not everybody listens to every podcast. And, you know, shame on you for not doing that. I don't know why you don't devote your life to my coverage of Atlanta United. I, I'm stunned that you don't. But Brad is under contract for 2024. There is an option for 2025. So as of right now, yes, Brad is going to be the starter for 2024. However, I firmly believe Atlanta United is going to go out and try to find someone, a quality goalkeeper, to compete with Guzan for the starter's role next year. As will Brad eventually become an assistant coach? Well, he's done some analyst work uh, for Atlanta United when he had suffered his Achilles. I think he did some TV, and I th- think he may have also done some radio. I, I think Brad is a very well-spoken guy. I-, I really always appreciate talking to him. I like that he he holds us accountable, too. He'll call us on some stuff if he didn't like what we wrote or disagreed with what we wrote. But it's always professional. It's always respectful. Um, I think he could be a fantastic analyst for for whatever channel, whatever network, whatever streaming service, if that's what he wants to do. Um, but I think he's smart enough that he could be a coach too. seems to me, you know, being an analyst is a much safer job than being a coach, but I've never done either. So what do I know? I think that Brad has gotten a lot of unfair stick this season uh, in goal. The stats, yes, aren't good. But also, the defense has not been good. Pineda himself has admitted the team has given up way too many big chances in games. And when a goalkeeper is facing a big chance, what's he going to do? The goals last night. Cucho Hernandez, it was a turnover again, a silver turnover in the defensive third. I think it was one, maybe two passes to Cucho. He spins. He's got basically the whole goal to shoot at. Uh, Miles thought he was going to go the other way. Cucho spun to his left to get the ball on his right foot, had the whole goal. He could have gone far corner. He could have gone near corner. He was inside the 18-yard box. He went near corner. There's not too many goalkeepers that are going to stop that. The second goal was a volley off a corner kick. Player wasn't marked. That's not on Brad. It was laced. It went right over the head of a Columbus player. So Guzan's sight was also interfered with. There's just, goalkeepers aren't going to stop that. And that those are... Not all of the goals he's allowed, but a lot of the goals have been like that. Are his reaction times what they were? I don't know. I don't have a stopwatch on them. Visually, you can kind of see, yeah, probably not so. But at the same time, the goals that he's given up, you know, they're 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 well taken goals. So, you know, some of that should be kept in mind. All right, on to the traditional questions again the email is d robertson d-r-o-b-e-r-s-o-n at ajc.com 
We're going to start us off with Eric with a K, friend of the podcast. Wowzers. That's the only thing he had to say. I think that probably sums it up if you're an Atlanta United supporter. But let's use this to go through some of the stats real quick to back up the Wowzers. Atlanta finished with 2.37 expected goals to Columbus's 1.37. Atlanta had more shots, 14 to 11, more shots on target, 7 to 4, which Pineda made sure to point out with his first statement to me at my question because I kind of made, I think, a rightfully big deal about Atlanta only having one shot in game one, a franchise low one shot. It was not on target matching a franchise low. Atlanta played very, very well, and, and Pineda deserves credit for that. Uh, for all those who were calling for his head before the game. Let's go and look at chances created, because in game one, Atlanta only created one. And this, Yakamakis led the team with five, Lennon and Lopchenitze with three each, Wiley and Robinson with one each. That's pretty good balance. When you're getting chances created from your striker, from your two fullbacks, from your winger, and from a center back, that's a pretty good sign that your offense is working pretty well. Columbus's top ch- uh, chances created total nine they also had some chances but they weren't big chances that was the difference all right on to our next da boomful friend of the podcast says this is him talking i'm in europe so i've only watched the recap so far but wow seemed like a good time last night one question mercedes-benz stadium looked two-thirds full down low in the best seats is this skipped corporate tickets causing so many no-shows or just the challenge of soccer on a school night? Really wish we could pack out a playoff game. Also, Mascara being called a super sub on the broadcast was fun. I think it's a combination. Uh, there was a horrible wreck on 85 South last night that limited all the lanes. Uh, I think it's like six lanes to one. Uh, it was a rolled-over truck. So that's the artery from Gwinnett County, the most populous county in the state. Uh, from getting to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Some people may have looked at the traffic and just said, no, I'm not doing this. Uh, others may have been, it's a school night. Others may have been, after a listless game one performance, what's the point in going to game two? Uh, I could see all those reasons. And some just may be they had something else better to do. I don't know. Uh, Mosquera being called a super sub, he has really found a niche for Atlanta United. I, I, I was down on Mosquera. I was down on the signing when it was made. I didn't understand it. It's a guy who at the time had like 60-something appearances and never had a goal, only had four assists. His first stint with Atlanta United, no goal. He had one goal, uh, I think it was. Uh, No, no goals in his first stint. Came back, and now he's got like four or five with Atlanta, mostly as a super sub role. His goal was well taken last night. He's, He's really found a role, and Pineda knows how to use him. He brought him on along with Wolf uh, when he subbed off uh, Silva and Lopchenitze, fresh legs to run at Columbus's tired defenders. And Mosquera did just that, played in by Jurga Shakamakis, left-footed shot, laced it in the, into the uh, top of the goal. I won't call it a galazzo. I won't call Almada's goal a galazzo. That's a phrase that, frankly, it's becoming so overused, it's losing its meaning. Um, but it was fine goals, fine, fine goals. On to Nick. And you are now a friend of the podcast, Nick. So happy with tonight's result, he said. Not only was it a great game and the team stayed in the playoffs, but they are also guaranteed an additional episode of the podcast. Well, that may be the the one blessing nobody wanted, Nick. Mosquera has been a completely different player since his return. What do you attribute the drastic change to? 
Uh, you know, some of the stuff I just mentioned, I think he's found a role as a sub to use his speed to, to run at tired defenders. He was not tracked very well on that goal, or if he was, he just blew by them so quickly it looked like he wasn't tracked. Nick continues, was Bocanegra playing 3D chess with the under-22 debacle? It has really worked out beautifully with Mascara's improvement and Bayumba's addition to the midfield as opposed to keeping Abara. Now, look, one day I hope to, to help explain what happened with the under-22s and, and why Abara had to go on loan with Toronto, but the information was told off the record, and I'm not going to use it because it was told off the record. Um, but I think Atlanta was probably going to look to make a, a an addition at defensive midfielder anyway. Uh, Franco is a great tackler, uh, you know, but he was he's limited in some areas. He's not as fast as Miyamba. He doesn't cover as much ground as Miyamba. Um, and it was uh, to me part of the problem with the defenders. Franco does have a lot of strengths too. But for what Pineda wants, I think Mayumba is a better fit. Keep up the great work and thank you, says Nick. Well, thank you. On to Adam, friend of the podcast. He's chuffed. Well, golly, you should get some talcum powder. Great win, great crowd, and I love the work rate tonight. Even with two to three good chances blown, the team pushed and played with belief. Team defending was top rated and the attack showed more creativity and intensity. Yes, a lot of it was Almada, but a lot of other guys stepped up tonight as well. Standout moment. The fans cheering on Silva after missing the sitter because tonight was more about lifting the club than just tying the miss or only cheering at high points. Great moment. So, yeah, let's go into that for a minute. So, uh, Atlanta had a counterattack. Yakimakis was coming in down the right wing. A Columbus center back who was marking him had fallen down. Yakimakis was coming in on goal. Columbus's goalkeeper came out. Yakamakis could have shot. Instead, he squared a ball over to Silva. Open goal, six or seven yards from goal. Silva skied the shot into the supporter section. Just a horrible miss. Horrible miss. It could have ended the game right there. They would have been up 3-1. Instead, they're up 2-1. But Yakamakis, who's been a leader, kind of a quiet leader. Not a, I hate that phrase. He's been a leader for Atlanta United. Maybe not written about, not talked about much by me, but I've been told he's a, been a really good leader in the locker room. Told the supporters to to cheer on Silva. Don't get down on him. Bring some positivity, and they did. And after the game, Silva's like, you know, it's a miss. It happens. It's a score. It happens. I don't let it affect me too much either way. I do want to point out, and this I thought this was pretty – it was pretty cool by these kids last night. So where the press box is in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, it's on the opposite side – of the supporter section in the corner. And it's usually, it's right above where the away supporters sit. So there's a pretty good contingent of Columbus supporters at the game last night. It was, I was a little bit surprised. And every time they would start some sort of Columbus cheer, there was a group of Atlanta United supporters who were kids, probably 8 to 12 years old maybe, sitting to the left. They would start their own Atlanta United cheer to try to drown them out. And this went on throughout the game. It was I thought it was pretty cool to the kids. It was respectful. You know, both sides were respectful. Nobody was was being rude or, or putting down the other. It was just good nature. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I need to also point out the national anthem last night, I think it was played by Boykins. If I'm mispronouncing your name, please forgive me. It was fantastic. I don't usually pay a whole lot of attention to the national anthem because we hear it so often, or the Star Spangled Banner, I should say. But they knocked it out of the park. If it's out there on YouTube, watch it. Really good performance. 
Uh, on to Daniel, who says, as someone that probably flies often to watch the team play, what flight should we grab? Airport should we fly into out of Columbus? So the Columbus airport is one of the easiest in Major League Soccer. It is like 15 minutes from downtown. The park is within a mile of the center of downtown, so you can walk wherever you're staying. The problem on Saturday night, if you're trying to fly in Saturday, Ohio State has a home game. So finding a hotel may be very, very difficult. Airbnb may be your better bet if you can find one. As for things to do in Columbus, uh, I think it's Schmitz in the Germantown part of Columbus. Man versus food has been there. Great hamburgers, a lot of fun. But if you can, if you're going and you have a place to stay and you could get a ticket to an Ohio State football game, that would be kind of a fun experience, I would think. A walk around that campus. There's also a fantastic bookstore in Germantown. I hope it's still open. Um, I love going to bookstores, so that's something to do too. Joseph. Uh, what are your thoughts on Edwin Mosquera? I think we, we've covered it pretty well. He's um, Has he turned the corner in the past couple of matches? You could argue that. I'm going to look up how many goals Mosquera actually has now for you good people because he is playing very, very well. Mosquera now has four goals this season, four goals and an assist for Atlanta United in 13 appearances. It's a pretty good return. He actually is Atlanta's fourth tied for a fourth highest goal scorer uh, behind uh, Yakamaki's Almada, uh, Wolf, and Wiley. Lopchenitze has uh, – Gutman also has four goals. Uh, Lopchenitze has three goals. Uh, so he's you know he's becoming an impactful sub, and I think that's going to be his role going forward, at least for however long the season lasts. Christian says – it's always nice to see you after the home games and occasionally on the road. It's always good to see you too, my friend. Given the difficulty of winning on the road in Major League Soccer, and I have to say the Major League Soccer because I hear football analysts uh, both uh, for English soccer, uh, every conference in college football, and the National Football League. You have to modify everything with in the Premier League, in the National Football League, in the Southeastern Conference, in the ACC, in the Big Ten. You just have to. I think it's almost a law at this point. You can't just say that they're a good player. They have to be one of the best players in the Premier League or one of the best players in the National Football League. So given the difficulty of winning on the road in the Major League Soccer, what are the two things the team needs to do tactically to have the best chance to win on Sunday? Score more goals. No, just play loose. Played loose but disciplined, if that makes sense. Pineda talked about after the game how he thought that the team was disciplined for most of of the game last night. Um, And he said you have to be disciplined to have a chance to defeat Columbus. He said they got a little loose on that first goal. He thought that was a little too easy. They need to stay tight on their set-piece marking on Columbus's second goal. But the remainder of the game, he thought that they played really uh, disciplined tactically. So that's what they've got to do. I think you're going to see the same formation. He said there'll be some tweets in the tactics. I'm really curious to see what Wilfred Nancy tries to do to pull Miyamba out of that central midfield and get him maybe chasing some ghosts so that Columbus can can go through the middle of the field again. Uh, which players need to have big games? Almada needs to have a big game. He Pineda said he thought he had a brilliant game. It was visually kind of a quiet game until the end. But Almada was being marked by Nagby, being marked by Morris. Uh, Pineda pointed out every time 
Almada got the ball and could turn. There were some players on him. Sometimes Almada would make the smart turn and let the ball roll past him and then run onto it, kind of taking those two players out until they could catch back up. But, you know, he's a marked man, and he's one of the best players in Major League Soccer for a reason, and he's going to be like job number one on the whiteboard for Columbus for game three. You know, slow him down, and job two is going to be try to get a body on Yakamaki's uh, in the box. So those are the two players. On to Ben, who says, we could get multiple goal wins at home, but consistently struggle with scoring away. That is true. What do you think the team did right last night, and how does the team transfer this into Columbus on Sunday to get another big win? Well, the first thing is don't give up any goals right before halftime. Two consecutive games, <coughs> Atlanta United has given up a goal just before halftime, and they're backbreakers. There's you know the adage in in football. The most important moments of the games, like the last five minutes of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half, you can also apply that to soccer because that's when momentum either stays or or gets crushed because it's just demoralizing. You know, we just got to got to see it out, got to see it out, got to see it out, and let's get off to a good start. And when you give up a goal, it, you know, emotionally can be can be difficult to overcome. So. If, if Atlanta can do that, if it can get that vital first goal and then just hold on and get through that first half without giving up one, I think they're going to be fine. Adam says, how does Pineda set up our starting 11 to keep good foot energy in Columbus? A fantastic use of a phrase that I still have no idea what it means. I want to thank some counterparts of the NFL for bringing that little bizarre chestnut out in last week's Falcons game. Uh, you know, well, to keep good foot energy in the Major League Soccer – you have to play aggressively. You have to play tactically disciplined, as I pointed out before. I think you're going to see the exact same starting 11 unless who's that who can't go. Uh, you're not going to see a whole lot of, of differences. There will be some tweaks, I think, with how the marking was. There was some moments in the first half last night. There was a specific moment. Cucho Hernandez was standing at the top of the box. Columbus had the ball in Atlanta United's half, and there wasn't a player within 10 yards of him. He's the most dangerous player on the field for Columbus. And nobody was marking him. That kind of stuff has got to get cleaned up because, as we've seen, he's already scored three goals in two games. He can make you pay in a variety of ways. So those kind of things definitely have to get fixed for Atlanta United. Adam continues, irrelevant at this point, but should last night's second goal for Columbus have been called back for handball? It might just be the angle, but it looks like the shot deflected off another player's hands as he attempted to get out of the way of the ball. So I went back and watched this. I can't tell if the ball hit the guy's hand or hit his head. Nobody for Atlanta United held their hand up like it was a handball, so I think it might have glanced off his head. But I appreciate the question. On to Ron, who says, Last week I commented many of the team's wins seemed based more on luck than skilled team play. I don't know if luck is the right word. I think individual skill might be the better word, but I understand your point. Last night was just the opposite, skilled team play. We got to watch this team again and again reset itself and drive forward to create chances. Robinson really stood out, proving he will be missed. What a great potentially last game at Mercedes he had. On to his three quick questions from Ron. What is the likelihood we see a similar performance on Sunday? Well, it can't get a whole lot worse than the previous two performances at Lower.com Field. Um... 6-1 loss way back in March. Atlanta was missing 
if memory serves, like seven players because of international duty. Columbus was missing four, I think, because of international duty. But they got played off the park. Um, so a similar performance. Well, again, it's probably going to be more similar to what you saw last night than what you saw in game one. Is it going to be enough to win? I don't know. Second, while Almada continues to be amazing, he has seemed a little off step lately. Do you think potential suitors have noticed and thus the chance he stays has increased? I've got no idea what the suitors are looking for. Um, All I know is this was an important game. Almada played. He scored. He, to me, didn't make too many obvious mistakes. He dealt with Columbus's pressure. He got the ball out. He got teammates involved. I thought it was a solid performance. Finally, can the team keep the 404 kit as its second? Uh, No. Third kits have a short shelf life. The team is going to introduce a new secondary kit uh, before next season. I I don't know when. I don't know what it looks like. I would love, love, it is too late for this because these things take like a year in design and production, a little more, actually more than a year from design concept to, to mass production so that they can go out in the retail outlets. Love for the team to do some sort of homage to the old Atlanta Chiefs, but please use a soccer ball instead of the Chiefs head. I think that would sell probably more than any secondary kit in Atlanta United history or a Marta theme kit. And, you know, you can donate a proceeds uh, of every sale to help the indigent uh, get transportation to go to work, jobs, something like that. I think that would be a cool concept too. Ron says, thanks for your interesting and fun pods. Thank you for submitting your question, Ron. Now on to Nick with the questions of the week. And I call it questions of the week, but it's not the week because this is already our second, I think our second podcast this week. And we're going to have another on Friday to preview Sunday's game three. But Nick says, good morning, Doug. Two questions for you. First, you've talked lots about how the team hasn't won a must-win game in years. I have. After breaking that streak last night, when was the last win of that magnitude and impressiveness? So, you know, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Mike Conti and I were talking about this. The team needed to get a win in Orlando last year and did that. Mike thought that was an important match. I kind of had forgotten about that one. So then you go back to the last high stakes win the team had was probably, well, definitely was to clinch a playoff spot in 2021. But that came against a Cincinnati team that had already taken the wooden spoon and put it in its uh, cupboard to go along with its other couple of wooden spoons. So it's really hard to call that magnitude and impressive. You know, winning the Campionas Cup might have been it. Uh, or winning the U.S. Open Cup might have been it. Uh, both were impressive wins, hard-fought wins against good opponents. So that's my answer. And it continues, I've been thinking about how some people will still say Pineda should lose his job, even with over 70 goals scored between regular season and the playoffs, and lots of big wins. I don't know if I agree with lots of big wins, but I understand your point. Does the team have enough proof of concept now, right? Yeah, again, I don't think Pineda's going anywhere. Atlanta United scored the second most goals in Major League Soccer. Columbus scored the first. Should the defense be much better than it was? Yes, it should. How do you fix that? Well, they'll work on that tactically next year. Having Miyamba, I think having Wiley and Lennon 
as the fullbacks has made a big, big difference. I need to go back and look at how many goals the team has allowed on average uh, since Mayumba was signed compared to the beginning. I think I think I did look it up. I think it's uh, like three quarters of a goal less per game or a half a goal less per game than they were given up before. I wrote about it. I've just got to go and find it. So now they got to continue that. Of course, they got to go out and find another center back to replace Miles, and it's got to be a quality center back. I don't think it's going to be Parata. I don't think Noah Cobb is quite ready to step in and be an everyday starter. I do think he'll get more playing time next year because he got none uh, this year. I think I think he played in two tournament style games for Atlanta United, but he's got a, a bright, bright future. Does Noah Cobb? So they, they got to go and find a center back, and and it can't be this rotational thing that they've unfortunately had the past couple of years, like Fernando Meza coming in and that didn't really work. And he was gone after a season and, and things. It's got to be a, a long-term commitment. It wouldn't surprise me that if it's an MLS free agent or possibly a trade, we will see. All right. That is the end of our questions for the podcast. I want to remind you to please tell your friends about our show. Please give us a rating on Spotify and Apple. That's what helps us grow the podcast. I want to remind you, subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, 99 cents. You'll always know what's really going on. I want to remind you, 404-526-2527 is the voicemail. I want to remind you to hug your loved ones and communicate your loved ones. Thanks for listening to Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Y'all take care. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,